You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. Eoch Taniyap. Kwiget Yuans Kwiens Na. Hi, everybody. My name is Kwiget Yuans. I'm a member of the Squamish Nation and the Yogalanis Clan of the Haida Nation. You're listening to Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. We live, work, play, and broadcast from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. This episode is another comedy episode because I had so much fun the last time. So I'm going to do another comedy episode. More laughter for the springtime. But before that, let's put on our theme song, Possibilities by Key Sarah. Thank you. 
The song you just heard is Possibilities by Key Sarah. Key Sarah is a mother-daughter duo from Ontario, and the daughter who is singing is on the autism spectrum. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. Another comedy episode, which is going to be still a lot of fun. My first guest today is David Grenier, who is a comedian and a mental health advocate. He has a company in Vancouver, Stand Up for Mental Health, that brings comedians with and without mental illness to talk about mental health. Thank you so much, David, for being on my show. Off the bat, what inspired you to become a comedian and start your company, Stand Up for Mental Health? Okay, first of all, just to clarify, um, what I do is, so my background is I'm a counselor, I'm a stand-up comic, um, and I run and have created Stand Up for Mental Health, which is my program teaching stand-up comedy to people with mental illness like myself. I have bipolar. So all the people that I teach um, have never done comedy before. So um, that's, you know, one of the criteria is that, um, I mean, if you're an established comic, then you probably wouldn't be coming to my class. So it's all people that I I would say 95% of them have never done any anything in comedy. Um, In terms of what gave me the idea. So... um, I've been teaching a stand-up comedy course at Langara College uh, for, I don't know, over 20 years. It has nothing to do with mental health. Um, but um, I would see people come through the class and they would occasionally have these life-changing experiences doing stand-up comedy. And I thought, wow, so wouldn't it be great to give this to people who wanted to do the stand-up, but who also wanted the life-changing experience? And that's what gave me the idea for Stand Up for Mental Health. I went to Langara as well, and I heard of Studio 58. Hearing that you've created it just for people who had those life-altering experiences to put it into their their artistry, into their stand-up comedy. Yeah. That would have been really interesting to mm-hmm. see. What got you into also becoming a counselor? And does that influence your stand-up comedy at all or having your clients become stand-up comedians? Well, first of all, I um, um, what, what got me into being a counselor was, um, I mean, I certainly came from my own uh, level of dysfunction in my family of origin. But I really wanted to, I think one of the things that made me want to be a counselor is, first of all, I enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. But I also wanted the world to make sense. So, for example, you know, I mean, growing up, you know, my parents would be like, oh, you know, the so-and-so's daughter, you know, she's, uh, you know, she's an alcoholic and she won't speak to her parents. But there was no insight as to, well, why is she drinking? Why does she want it? Why does she not want to speak to her parents? And when I became a counselor, all that stuff begins to make sense. So that's what that's what essentially drove me to be a counselor in the first place. And does that influence your stand-up comedy at all? Or do your any of your clients become stand-up comedians? 
So um, it certainly influences my comic, my comedy, because I, I talk about being a counselor in, in my act. So it certainly um, influenced that way. Um, in terms of my clients, so just let me make a distinction. Um, people who are seeing me as clients cannot be part of Stand Up for Mental Health because it's a conflict of interest. So um, I can't have, so either someone's with me as a client in my counseling practice, and I don't do a lot of counseling anymore. I see maybe like three people because Stand Up for Mental Health is what keeps me busy. Um, and um, what was I going to say? So either they're a client or they're a stand-up for mental health comic, but they can't be both. So there's a, a real distinction there Yeah. for privacy, for... It's conflict of interest, basically. I never thought of it that way. Absolutely, and, uh, yeah. Separating the two quite distinctly. Well, the thing is, if someone is a client <clears throat> and they're in stand-up for mental health, it's it's too messy. And um, people could say, well, um, first of all, I, as a client, I probably know stuff about them that they may not want to disclose in Stand Up for Mental Health. Um, and also, it can look like I'm using my being a counselor in a position of power to, for example, you know, people could say, well, you know, that person, you talked them into being, you know, you pressured them into being part of Stand Up for Mental Health, and you're using your your position as a counselor to inappropriately get someone to do something. So like I say, it's one or the other. One or the other. And having that nice distinction is lovely. Does any of your mental health influence your stand-up comedy? Oh, absolutely. Well? I talk about my own uh, mental health issues in my stand-up comedy. So my stand-up comedy is mostly about my mental health issues, being a counselor, um, or just some of my thoughts on um, the mental health system and how we do things or how we don't do things that we should be doing. It sounds quite interesting and honoring those lived experiences almost mm -hmm. yeah. and trying to change how we treat about mental illness and yeah. mental health. What have been some of the positive changes that you've seen since starting Stand Up for Mental Health? Well, in people who take the class, what I, you know, what I often hear, actually, let me just, someone gave me this great little, I, I just finished working with a group in Miami. And um, one of them gave me this great, um, okay, here, let me just see what she said. Uh, okay. She basically said, um, the classes that I took were excellent and it helped my depression, um, really brought me out of my comfort zone. Um, I felt like I couldn't make anyone laugh and now I can um, and that um, this was her first time doing comedy and uh, I made it possible for her to do her best and also just in terms of the amount of conflict and uh, not conflict what am I saying the amount of confidence and self-esteem that someone gets out of the program is really priceless I mean you know I'm a therapist and sometimes I wish I could achieve those kind of outcomes um in the amount of time that I achieve them through someone being in stand-up for mental health. Seeing the confidence, seeing that growth of that person. Yeah, absolutely. Beyond just that mental illness, they see themselves as a, a whole person now. Yeah. I think, I think um, what I, what I like to say is that there's a cognitive shift that happens, which is all of a sudden 
all that negative, horrible stuff that you've been through just becomes great comedy material. And that really that really changes the way it sits inside of you. So all of a sudden you're not ashamed of it anymore. You just feel like, oh, this will this will make a great thing to talk about in my act. It sounds funny afterwards. It kind of a cathartic experience, not only for the person, but also to learn as an audience member. Yeah, I think that, um, first of all, I think that we're much more open about talking about mental illness now than we were, say, 20 years ago. Um, we've still got a ways to go. But yes, we're we're much more open to talking and hearing about it. And there's I think there's less stigma than there was back then. That's really important to have less stigma. Yeah. And with that, don't go anywhere because there will be more on the self-advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Alison Klein. Howdy, folks. Tune in every Sunday afternoon from 4 to 5.30 for What the Folk, singer-songwriters, deep folk, roots music. It's all folk music. Sundays from 4 to 5.30 p.m. right here on Vancouver Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM and www.coopradio.org. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Alison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Alison Mira. I am doing another comedy episode. And right now I am talking with David Grenier, who is a counselor and a stand-up comedian. And he teaches people to become stand-up comedians who have uh, mental health challenges and mental illness. What have been some of the more difficult parts of teaching people with mental illness how to be stand-up comedians and just running stand-up for mental health. Well, I mean, it's it's a lot of work, but it doesn't feel like work. So um, <clears throat> in terms of the challenges, I, I mean, the people, we have a pretty self-selected group that comes in to stand up for mental health. So these are people who have heard about the program. They seek me out. They want to be part of it. So they're ready to talk about their mental health issues. I don't need to... Um, I don't need to push them to do that. Um, I mean, there there are there there are some uh, you know some ground rules in that you know you have to talk about your mental illness. That needs to be about sixty percent of your act. But um, yeah, it's not hard with the people that we get because they're there for that very reason. It's just putting in the work and letting the people talk about it themselves. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's helping them to you know teaching them giving them nut, the nuts and bolts of how to write how to perform stand-up comedy um how to take that everyday stuff in your life and turn it into stand-up comedy so like i say it's and running the groups facilitating the groups i do a lot of individual coaching sessions in between classes with some of the comics i just finished um i was just um doing one with with one of the comics just before we uh started this interview so you know, once again, it's 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 time intensive, but it I mean, it doesn't really feel that way. It's just a whole lot of fun for me. It sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. For a person who is 
ready to become a stand-up comic or a comedian and they have a mental illness or mental health challenges, what's one piece of advice you would give to them? Well, I would say take the program. That's that's the best place to get started. Um, it also protects you from, um, you know, a lot of comics go out to open mics and that's great, but it's tough. That's a tough thing to do. Whereas in stand-up com- for mental health, you get to do all that stuff. Um, and you're sort of protected from a lot of the stuff that goes on out there in the comedy scene in terms of, you know, how tough it is to do shows at open mics and things like that. To take the course, to take a class and try. Yeah. Because it's tough just to start out without knowing. Absolutely. Very, very much so. What do you hope for the future in stand-up comedy and the uh, mental illness, mental health realms? Well, it's already happening. So a lot of comics now are talking about their mental health issues through comedy. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's happening right now. So I think it's great. To talk about their mental health. Yeah, a lot of comics are talking about it in their act. And for more conversation. Absolutely. What do you hope for like the stand-up comedy, like to learn from the mental illness, the mental health realm? Well, I think, like I say, I think a lot of comics are doing stuff about their mental health issues. Um, When I say it's tough on the comedy scene, I, I don't mean just for people with mental illness. It's just tough to break into the comedy scene because you've got to, you know, it's like you've got to go out to open mics on a regular basis. And that's that's really a process of attrition. Um, And so it's 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 hard. It just it was really time consuming and you have to have a really thick skin, really thick skin. That's a huge thing. What is coming up for the month of April? Like, Hmm. do you have any shows coming up? We our classes are six months long. So um, we run two classes a year. And this class, the class, the the winter class, which started in um, at the end of January, are doing their debut show um, on April 11th at a comedy club called Comedy After Dark, which is downtown on Pander Street. Um, If people want more information or to buy tickets, they can go to smhcomedysociety.org. And uh, we're doing two debut shows. We're doing one on April 11th and one on May 9th. So you can get tickets for either one of those uh, shows. They're $10 a ticket. And um, it'll be some great comedy. And you'll get to see, I think there's 14 or 15 15 of them making their comedy debut. That'd be so much fun to go and watch. Yeah. And how can the listener find Stand Up for Mental Health and find you, David? Well, once again smhcomedysociety.org or just google stand up for mental health and you'll find everything that you need to know go check stand up for mental health on their website or just Just google Google stand up for mental health and you'll you'll it'll all come up what else do you want the listener to know about stand-up comedy and mental health um i guess i i just think stand-up comedy is a great vehicle for talking about mental health. And it's a great teaching tool. I remember we had a friend come to one of our shows and one of the comics did a, in her five minute act, she talked a bit about um, having borderline. Um, and this woman friend of ours goes, oh my God, 
that's me. And so my sense was she could have read, read like a hundred self-help books and stuff like that and not gotten what she got in five minutes from listening to our comedy, our, our comedian talk about that very issue. To be able to have that connection, that personal connection. Well, also, once again, it, you can really educate people. It's, it, comedy is a great educational tool. To have that educational tool yeah. is amazing to have. Yeah. Thank you so much, David, for talking with me today. You're welcome. Don't go anywhere because there will be more about comedy part two on the self-advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. Vancouver Co-op Radio CFRO 100.5 FM. An idea worth stealing. Vancouver's original community radio station since 1975. Vancouver Cooperative Radio, CFRO, 100.5 FM. Homemade, not store-bought. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM, with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on twitter and instagram at allison mira so i had so much fun doing a comedy episode last time that i'm doing it again for a continuation of comedy and comedians my next guest today is david roach who is a stand-up comedian and he is local in bc Thank you so much, David, for being on my show. Off the bat, what inspired you to go into comedy and be an inspirational comedian? Well, I actually, I prefer the term humorist because I don't exactly tell jokes. I tell stories that are funny, but comedian, I'll take it. I'm honored. Um, Why? I think it's because I was trained in my family to be funny. We were all funny. I grew up in a working-class Irish Catholic family with seven children. Irish Catholic, here's the names, David, Craig, Patrick, Kevin, Michael, Kathleen, Teresa. Irish, yes. Catholic, yes. And um, we'd always play games. And like at the dinner table, we were always at the dinner table. And uh, so, oh, here's an, an example. My father would say, Kevin, okay, stand up. Here's a two-minute speech on what it's like living inside a ping-pong ball. And so Kevin would do that. And of course, they were all laughing. And clever stuff would come out uh, uh, when we did this kind of stuff. And we do physical things, too. I had uh, a thing that I love to uh, show to little kids um, where I I would stick um, uh, a quarter in my belly button and look like I'm sucking it in. But I had two dimes and a nickel underneath my tongue. And I'm going... <laughs> Oh, good. And then I'd stick out the two dimes and the nickel onto the floor. And the, and the little kids would go, oh. And they'd want to, to get the two dimes and the nickel. Meanwhile, of course, I was 
she's pleading the quarter in my pocket. And then they said, let's see your belly button. So I said, all gone. It's inside now. And so I still, obviously, if I tell you that story, I remember it from many years ago. And uh, maybe I'll do it in my upcoming comedy show. We'll see. That sounds hilarious. Just that little trick for kids and being able to take that inspiration from your family into your humor as, as a humorist. But I did not really find my voice until I was middle-aged. What I needed to do was, first of all, to quit drinking. Um, and then once that happened, I, you know, I never was a, you know, fall on the floor alcoholic. But uh, it, 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 it muffled some of my feelings about having a facial difference. Um, so one thing, and uh, it was, you know, that's why I got that from my family too, as well as a sense of humor. Um, so I, I had to quit drinking and I, uh, I fell in love. I found my soulmate, so I had love and sobriety and somehow I decided to get on stage. I thought I should be funny, but I started out making stupid jokes about my facial difference. Really, you know, like, uh, look at my face. It's uh, a Ben and Jerry's flavor is named after that. You know, but, I mean, nobody liked that kind of stuff. Nobody liked me putting myself down for any reason at all. But, okay, I know I'm rambling here, but what I discovered, and it took me a while, was that... Uh, what I did on stage, uh, through humor and storytelling, I come out and I have a, a fairly marked facial distance. I don't want to demean myself in any way, but uh, it, it's, it's noticeable and startling. So people would see me come out on stage and they'd get mesmerized by my face. So I, I would say, okay, everybody, when I count three, I want everybody here to say all together, what happened to your face? I go, one, two, three, and the whole crowd would do it. Because, of course, that was on the tip of their tongue. So I would start by uh, uh, being honest with the audience, and they liked that. And... Uh, in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I would change from someone who was, oh, you could say grossly disfigured into someone who's actually quite attractive through humor and through telling stories and being myself. And here's a core truth that I found, and this is, this comes out of comedy, it really does, is that Everybody feels disfigured. Everybody feels there is something wrong with them on their face, in their appearance, physically, also internally, dumb, foolish, well, I can't read, you know, everybody makes fun of me, whatever kind of thing. We all have that little place of fear right inside ourselves. But if we don't deal with it, then... That's where the predators come to feed. 
sexual, financial, political, military, etc. Okay, I'm an Ellison, I apologize for going on and on. And I probably forgot something as I did that, but. Um, no, it's good to recognize that, you know, your facial difference is part of you, but not to demean yourself and and say this is part of who I am but more of a person than just what you see I have a lot more uh going on like my humor and finding that sobriety uh, as well and finding your soulmate you know because I thought you know uh as I headed into adolescence I had uh I thought being the oldest child in uh, a Roman Catholic family uh, back in the 50s and 60s, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to become a priest. And back in those days, they took uh, young boys like at age 13. And of course, that leads to many, many other stories, not all of them very pretty. Um, but I applied to be a priest at the seminary at the University of Notre Dame in the States. And the priest told me I was too ugly to be a priest, which uh, that actually is the worst thing that has ever happened to me in terms of any kind of comment or cruelty. So, yeah. And, and so I, I always I felt, I know I'm smart. I know I'm a good boy. I know I'm funny. I know I have lots of friends. But here's the thing. I don't think that anybody could ever love me. So it took me a while into my early 30s to find that soulmate. Um, that really helped. Yeah. So to be a comedian, you have to have a soulmate. That's the lesson. That's the lesson, to have yeah. a soulmate and, and find your passion, those passions, and to be confident within yourself, even with something like a facial difference or a learning disability like what I have, uh -huh. a little bit of confidence. Yes, yes. Well, where did you get your confidence from? Showing am I, off. Am I allowed to ask questions like that? Yes. I think I get it from being able to make a podcast, make a radio show, mm. and, and connect with others. Oh, yeah. That's one of my big confidences, being able to connect to others and highlight people who might not otherwise have a voice. Amen. Yeah, that, that connecting with others. That I, you know, I always say, I'm here, I've been carried on the shoulders of other people. And I sure have. That's a really important thing. And that's a key thing about disability culture, in my opinion. We know that we need to find connection, community. Uh, uh, we have to make our own families often. And uh, what you say is a good example of that to me, because you know, that's how you've, you've built your confidence and the gifts that you bring into the world. And it's a lot of fun. It's fun to be able to talk to people. <laughs> yes. Oh, God, yeah. It doesn't feel like work, does it, to be able to talk to people and make people laugh? <laughs> Once in a while, I get a little nervous, but mostly I, I feel pretty confident and I love it. You know, I, I'm, I am uh, an audience addict. 
and it's those things like being insecure and and not connecting with others, especially in the disability community, that opens up for people to come and attack or to abuse a lot of the time as well. I think that's really true. I've been hearing that a lot within the disability community. Well, uh, just as a kind of extended example of what you're talking about, when I first got on stage, it was like a third of a century ago, the organizations for people with facial difference would often be uh, centered around the particular difference, uh, Mobius syndrome, plus talent, uh, you know, peanut society for burn survivors, etc. And there was some division. Um, and and since then, uh, like just focusing on facial difference, there's a number of organizations that reach out and are cooperative. Even there's an organization called uh, uh, Facial Difference International, uh, centered in the UK, uh, which uh, is is a world leader and and this it's all just the, there's a global community of people with facial differences and it's a mutual support now obviously the internet really helps with that uh not that the internet is perfect but well here here's us being on the internet right now well internet and then radio Internet and radio, being able to have the internet really connects the, the world and being able to do radio interviews on Zoom. With that, don't go anywhere because there will be more on The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. Sitting at home, flicking through your Spotify, wishing for something new. Pop on over to Bandcamp right now and search for Vancouver Co-op Radio. From there, you can see our three albums, Anthems from the Alley, Volumes 1 and 2, and From Pigeon Park to Wall Street, all available for streaming and purchase. Do you dig all three? Buy all of them for a discounted price of $15. Explore folk, alternative, progressive rock, art rock, experimental, blues, poetry, and world music. Go to Bandcamp right now and find us at Vancouver Co-op Radio. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. This episode is all about comedy, a continuation of comedy. I am... Right now, talking with David Roach, who is a humorist, and he is local. He's from BC, which is even better. What have been some of the highlights or positives since becoming a humorist, other than connection and finding love and sobriety and seeing what people have said? Oh, um... There are probably a lot of highlights that I could uh, describe. I think having performed, uh, you know, in Australia and New Zealand, uh, I think 
not as it ties in in Canada, but uh, probably 30 out of the 50 states in the United States, the UK, has performed in Moscow, um, which, which is quite interesting because the audience, uh, hardly anybody could understand English, so uh, they gave me a translator. So um, I'd, I'd, I'd say something like, uh, we who are sexually disfigured are children of the dark. And then the translator would put his hand on my shoulder and say, okay, he's going to translate now. And he's going to like a three-minute thing. And then the audience would go, oh, and they clapped. So I never knew if it was me or the translator who was entertaining them. But uh, I, I really enjoyed it. So uh, being in all the different places, meeting all kinds of really beautiful and creative and talented people. And this was like during the growth of the disability arts movement. I, I enjoyed being on the... Uh, 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 Kickstart Disability Arts Festival in Vancouver. That was the first one in Canada, Disability Arts Festival. Um, and uh, I, 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 I performed at the White House. This was a Clinton White House some years ago. And you think, oh, that would be fantastic. And it was great, because I can say, yeah, well, I performed at the White House. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but really... Uh, as I was about to go on in the White House, uh, uh, one of the uh, aides or something like that came up to me and said, uh, you know, Senator so-and-so has arrived. Can you cut your act in half so that you'll have time to speak? You know, this is like 10 minutes before I'm supposed to go on in the White House. Uh, so that was a politician trying to yank the chain. Um, so that was a good introduction to politicians and disability arts. But the thing that I did get to see there was my family in the second row. And I saw my brother, Craig. And Craig and I used to fight constantly. And there he was watching me perform in the White House with tears streaming down his face. So that's the kind of memory that you have that you can, ta-da, the White House, well, not quite so exciting uh, when the politicians are involved, but there's another another wonderful thing to be obtained. Uh, so, yeah, the White House, uh, I mean, you know, the, the best place I've ever performed is the Glenn Gould uh, Theater in uh, Toronto. Oh, that was so good. It's mainly set up through music, so like the sound is fantastic. Um, the sound would have been so amazing. What a what a coup to be at the White House, to be at the Glenn Gould Center in Toronto, and to connect with your family, like your brother Craig. Yeah. What have been some of the more difficult parts of being a humorist and performing on stage? Wow, that's a great question. There have been times when, uh, I was at uh, St. Thomas University in New Brunswick, um, and uh, 
uh, my wife was with me at that time. We were doing something together, and we were set up for doing uh, a, a, a show like at 4 o'clock on Friday afternoon, and that was like the end, the last thing in the uh, uh, this conference. And they had uh, failed to provide a uh, translator uh, to translate what I said into French and to translate the questions. Into... So they kind of ruined everything, and then people were exhausted because it was like really, really hot. It was like about 25, something like that. And, uh, and, and so like the, the whole place was just like dead, dead. And there's nothing I could do. And then I wasn't at my desk either. So that's, that's a, a painful memory. Um, other things difficult. Usually things, uh, usually things were not difficult for me. If any difficulties came, they would come from myself. Because I, at a certain point, and even at the, the uh, at St. Thomas, I had, uh, I had this illusion that I could do anything. I didn't need to rehearse, didn't need to do anything. All I needed to do was show up because I'm so talented and so lovable and so cute and so funny. Yeah, well, if that's what you think you can ride on, you're going to get burned once in a while. And I have been. Um, so the lesson is really tune into the audience, which I do a lot. So I also, I... I I found at a certain point after I had started my one-man show, The Church of 80% Sincerity, I found that if you call yourself a keynote speaker, you get paid about five times as much. So doing the exact same thing. So I like that. Um, and, I would, and, and how I got the lesson in about the audience, I would, you know, a keynote uh, will start, say, at 9 a.m to open a conference. And I would show up at 8 a.m. as people trickle into the, into the uh, room and uh, link up with them. And, uh, you know, I've had teased people who would be sitting at a table at the rear. Uh, you know, I say, okay, you're the bad boys and girls. They're here, I know, and you're going to start smoking cigarettes. Don't do it. You know, and I, you know, connect with the audience in that way. That was always good. Um, I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm blotting out something horrible, <laughs> but I can't think of anything right now. It's it's almost like an internal, like you can't be overconfident, but you can't be very shameful. It's coming within, but also knowing where your audience is as well. Yeah. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And now I'd like... Uh, I feel like I'm at least semi-retired and the pandemic kind of fed into that, although I've done things uh, online, on Zoom, uh, like this kind of work, which I really uh, enjoy a lot. Um, so now I, I tend to only speak or work with people and organizations that I feel like I have the same values. Oh, here's a, one of the worst things I ever did was I was hired 
um, to appear in Las Vegas at the Waste Management Conference. And this is like people who do waste management. So there's all kinds of tools and factors and several things and big things uh, in the exhibit hall. And then it's all people who are into waste management. And I was hired and I got $10,000 to do this. Um, but it was actually awful because it was Las Vegas. And they introduced me with this kind of stick of, you know, the searchlights crisscrossing in the hall and, and the voice booming out like this, you know. And uh, so it was phony. It was really phony. And the other bad thing was I was just hired as, uh, a, a, what's the word? as a showcase of someone with a disability to show that they cared about people with disabilities. So it was really essentially meaningless. So I didn't like that at all, except I liked the $10,000, although my agent got his cut, of course. Um, yeah, so that was something bad that happened. The phoniness, not to be phony, to be realistic as yeah. well. So and I say, I'd like to, uh, who I was with recently, I've been at uh, schools, which I love, especially I live on the Sunshine Coast of D.C. And, uh, you know, I like to go to the local schools. You know, this is not a big pay kind of thing, but I love working with uh, kids. So I had uh, my, my wife. Uh, it was a producer of a film that we have called Love at Second Sight, uh, which is uh, available for free on YouTube, loveatsecondsight.org. Um, and it's basically a film of uh, a show that we did live, she and I, like a couple hundred times across Canada and across the U.S., uh, Love at Second Sight. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's a, a really good thing. That's that's something that I've enjoyed. And so I often like just last week I was in Powell River, BC, um, showing the film at a, a a school and then at a community conference and doing the Q and A. So that's fun. Um, and and the kids are great. I mean, you, you know. It's interesting the questions they ask because uh, you know one of oh here's one one of the questions is it's just so funny when you tell us a joke and uh, and I don't like to tell jokes I mean most of the jokes that I know are not appropriate for kids anyway but I say okay here's one joke I do why is six afraid of seven do you know the answer to that Allison. Seven, eight, nine. That's right, for seven, eight, nine. And that's an old bad joke. But some of the kids love it, you know, anyhow. So I kind of cheat on that one. Uh, yeah, so, and then uh, people are working with the homeless and uh, uh, lots, of, lots of other kind of organizations like that and local people. And you, I love this. It sounds so much fun to be able to go to, into schools and see the kids and have that documentary. For a person with a facial difference, 
who wants to be a humorist, what's one piece of advice you would give to them? This might sound strange, but, but I would say walk into the audience with an open heart and let your humor flow from there. Because of what I was alluding to earlier, that it took me years to realize this, that that everybody feels defeated and that I was I'm not different from anybody in the audience. I'm just like more pronounced. And and if uh what a gift that I give them and the gift that uh someone with a facial difference would give an audience is I'm fine and so are you. And now that doesn't sound funny, but that's kind of like the in the, the depth of the humor. That's what I would say, yeah. To walk into the audience with an open heart and show them that you're like everyone else. Yeah, and just be like everyone else. And be like everyone else. What do you hope for the future for the comedy slash humor community and the disability community? You know, um, I, I this might sound strange, but uh, I feel that that's not for me to say. I feel, you know, I, I definitely have a legacy and I take my dues and I I guess I do have something to say because I'm saying it. Um, but I feel the, the future is in the hands of the new generation. Uh, the facial the distance community, for one, uh, has, is like a global community now. And uh, the young people, you know, uh, they, they have the answers, and, and it's up to them. Uh, I'll, I'll show up and, you know, I'll get awards and stuff like that, but uh, but uh, it's, it's really, the future is, is not in my hands now. I, I should, I'm sounding like an old man. Well, I am an old man. And, uh, you know, I get to talk like this because I'm an old man. And I say, like, ah, oh, you kids, go ahead, do what you're going to do. <laughs> like that. The future is in, with the new generation. And I'm talking to the new generation. I'm talking to you. You know, so don't go telling me. Don't go asking me what's going to happen. You know the answer to that better than I do. And God bless you for it. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for teaching me how to do it, too. <laughs> I'm learning from, from it. Good. How can the listener find you, David, and find your humor? Well, I, uh, you can find my book, The Church of 80% Sincerity, that's on Amazon now. Um, and... Uh, you can find me online at www.davidroach.com. And I think that the best place to go is um, to love at secondsight.org. And then you find that you can watch a 24 minute video and, uh, and, and deliver it to an audience of six graders. And you'll see how the children change 
from the moment that they see me come out on stage until the end of what my wife and I do. Uh, and that, that shows me, I think, uh, at, at my best, doing what I love to do with kids. So, loveatsecondsight.org. Um, you know, I hope my second book is coming out. It should be out in September. That's called Standing at the Back Door of Happiness. I'd have the publishing. Um, and otherwise, uh, you know, on Facebook, I post things on Facebook. Okay, I know, Facebook is old-fashioned. And it should be Instagram, but I don't want to get around to that. Well, there are so many talking like an old man. Facebook, that's the way. That's the way of the future. No, it's not. Instagram, and TikTok is having a hard time, but Instagram is a good place. So go check David on Facebook and through his websites, davidroche.com and love at second sight. Go buy his book out, his first book, and heads up for his second book that's coming out in September. Thank you so much, David, for talking with me today. Allison, thank you very much. Another event that is coming up on Friday, March 31st, is the Canadian premiere of One Time Got Louder. The film One Time Got Louder is about a family with a son who is on the autism spectrum. It is produced, written, and directed by Connie Kochia, who is a local film producer in Vancouver. Go check the film out. This has been The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. If you missed any part of this show or want to listen to it again, you can find it on Spotify Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. To end out the show, let's put on our theme song, Better Miracle by Kiprios. Kiprios is a Vancouver-based rapper. Even though he does not have a disability, the song Better Miracle talks about having a better tomorrow, but on a miracle. Enjoy more programming, everyone. Today, my window, the sun came through today was the day i thought i'd look to my window felt the pain that i knew the sun heard about it when he came to came through good looking out i needed you today was the day that didn't need rain my window looked to me to make a change the sun rising to the occasion came through good looking out i needed you oh 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 I know.
within myself I'm gonna be okay Remember, back then I've come a long way The dream may never ever be the same But came true Get here with you, and that'll do I know, the road I'm on is not an easy way Remember, that I will define the path I take The dream, yeah I'm a dreamer What can I say, came true Get here with you, and that'll do I feel it's in my fingers I know it's in my soul now Don't need, I don't need a miracle Just want to get a bit better I feel it's in my fingers, I know it's in my soul now, don't need, I don't need a miracle, just want to get a little better, oh, oh. I'm not asking for a miracle, oh, oh. just want to get a little bit better, oh, 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 oh. I'm not asking for a miracle, oh, oh. just want to get a little bit better.